Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So sometimes you put uh, an opinion out into the world and you know for sure that you're going to take some heat for it. And let me tell you the words that people had for me when I uh, talked about the Vancouver Canucks spaghetti skate logo being actually not good. And it never has been good. And I think it's just based on nostalgia. Oh, boy. Last episode, we talked about how our mentions were going to be unhinged, unreadable, just like, you know, an absolute disaster. And then I saw you put that tweet out the next day and I said, you deserve what you're about to ha- what's about to the happen. Canucks to you. are a very fragile fan base right now. That is not the like the, the opinion ti- I'd be putting out. <laughs> the timing of pissing off Canucks fans was one thing. <laughs> yeah, they're galvanized right now. <laughs> and and then having an opinion that bad, that truly was the I want to hate my life for the next four to eight hours type of tweet. Look, I I think people often do this thing online where they're like, this is my unpopular opinion. And then they say something like stepping on Lego hurts. And it's something obviously not unpopular. I knew that was unpopular. And I think I was just, I actually walked away thinking, huh, there is actually dozens of us who don't like this, this skate. I will say I do like the Jersey scheme overall. I think it's very cool. Just that, I mean, it's Germany colors, but, um, it looks mean. I don't like the mod, like I like the modern up version of it, but the OG was still better. Like it was cleaner. Yeah. The, the colors popped a little more, but either way, I'm pretty sure that tweet probably had several thousand views and there was, you know, a dozen of you. There's dozens of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not big on, uh, ratios, but, uh, I, I feel like this one qualifies. <laughs> Vancouver fans did not need, <laughs> need that for me that day anyways. So before we get into the, uh, actual podcast here, I just have a note, um, Craig Kibble is a longtime listener of this show and he, uh, let us know that his father, Dave, uh, is currently battling pancreatic cancer. Uh, Dave uh, taught Craig and his brother um, his love of hockey at a very, very early age. Uh, Craig uh, mentioned to me that uh, some of his best memories growing up are the three of them uh, playing out on the pond, uh, playing hockey, and uh, also let me know that Dave, for one reason or another, uh, really enjoys tuning into the show, um, especially as he's he's going through chemo and, and battling pancreatic cancer. Um, so Dave... Uh, unbeknownst to us why you uh, you find any solace in our stupid little corner of the internet, but um, it brings us uh, immense joy to know that we might be helping in any way. So uh, we're all in your corner and, and pulling for you, and uh, we wish you a uh, rapid and full recovery. So all the best to you, Dave, uh, Craig, the Kibble family. Uh, again, we're in your corner, as is, uh, and we know uh, the entire Red Wings uh, hockey and Winged Wheel podcast community. So uh hoping for a, again, a a speedy recovery, and maybe we'll see you at a Winged Wheel podcast night sometime. Absolutely. All right, folks, uh, here to talk to you about all things Red Wings hockey, uh, the world of the NHL and everything in between. I am one of your hosts of the Winged Wheel podcast, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, the Red Wings have played uh, two more games. Lobster Dramas, you were right again, one-on-one. Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> just split them every time. Uh, we'll recap the Vegas and Philly games. We have updates on Tyler Bertuzzi, Jacob Verona, and more. Uh, and yes, folks, it's that time. Prospect profiles. We didn't make it to February. <laughs> January 22nd. That's a hell of an improvement over the past seven years. Yeah, the season started earlier. 
this year than last. So it, it's we definitely made it a little further in. And uh, there is an entire mess going on in Vancouver that needs uh, addressing and discussing. So we'll talk about that and whatever other NHL news we'll get into. Uh, before all that, I want to let you know about Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA, Saturday, April 8th against the Pittsburgh Penguins. What that is, is an event that we host in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings, uh, where we have a live episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast uh, recording before the Red Wings game. So your ticket, which you can get at DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP, gets you entry into that recording and the game itself. The live recording has featured special guests like Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond. Uh, we have even more surprises for you for the next one, which we'll keep to ourselves for now. Uh, there is a Q&A, a meet and greet with the special guests, and less importantly, the hosts. There's merch, prizes, giveaways, uh, food and drink available, uh, and lots more. And that's just at Hockey Town Cafe, a stone's throw away from the arena. Uh, come time for the game, we all head over to the arena together. You sit in Winged Wheel podcast-specific sections. We have the entire gondola, which is the same view that Ken and Mick have uh, from their broadcast booth in the gondola. Uh, we have upper and lower bowl sections. So wherever you like to sit, uh, the gondola tickets might be sold out or close to it. So don't quote me on that. Uh, you get a special winged wheel podcast discount on every ticket uh, sold and a portion of the proceeds from every ticket will benefit the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So a massive, massive thank you to our friends at the Detroit Red Wings for that. DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your tickets. The Red Wings, one and one yet again and uh, wrapped up a... A West Coast swing. Uh, we all made it through the Vegas game. 10, 10 p.m. games hit harder and harder as you get older. My God, I can't believe we used to do this all season long when the Red Wings were in the West. I would rather the franchise fold than ever go back to the Western Conference. There is no reality I would make it through a season if that were the case anymore. It, it hurts. I Honestly, I need to start like changing my workday to be able to stay up without that much pain. Anyways, uh, the Red Wings rewarded the fans who stayed up with the win, which was nice. Uh, it was a 3-2 win, uh, which started a little bit... Well, first of all, Lucas Raymond uh, opened scoring for Detroit. Dylan Larkin found him in front. Raymond put himself in the right place, right time streaking in. Uh, those two have been incredibly hot and uh, have... Well, Larkin pretty much all season, but Raymond continues his his streak of production. And uh, at the end of the first period, it was kind of a, a, a buzzkill. Under a minute left, and Petrangelo threw the puck on net from the blue line, and Husso let in an absolute stinker. Yeah, it uh, when they showed sort of the slow-mo, it looked like Petrangelo didn't get all of it, and it was a bit of a, a change-up. And, but <laughs> I just... I do not understand why his glove was the main uh, yeah, yeah. point of contact, not his just not his pad. You know, it, it all happens in a blink of an eye. You know, you're, you're he's reacting to change in speed of the shot. Yeah, he would obviously like to have that one back, but that's a bit of a motive, uh, an energy killer right at the end of the period. It was, uh, yeah, and I was concerned at that point. I said, mm, is this where the game changes for the Red Wings, especially against a tougher opponent like Vegas? And uh, it was actually nice. It, that wasn't the case. They came out in the second period. Uh, Dominic Kubelik uh, scored on the power play. It was a great uh, pass by Oscar Sunquist, actually. So that put them up uh, one. And then uh, Joe Valeno, streaking down, picks the corner, pulls the puck to his forehand, and just uh, puts the puck exactly where he needed to on Aiden Hill. Valeno, we've talked about this on the podcast, has been having a quietly good season. He's never been the type of player since the Red Wings have drafted him to uh, burst onto the scene and and you know 
blow the roof off, but if you give him some runway and the time, he he does put together solid performances. And anytime he gets a goal like that, it's nice because it kind of brings the focus to Valeno and how well he's been playing. His release from that angle is actually unreal. Arguably the best on the team because the way he's able to catch the puck on his strong side and then in one motion flip his wrists to be able to get that stick out in front of him and release it as he does, it's it's truly one of his strengths. So, you know, if you're going to be nitpicking the lineup in a few years when the Red Wings should hopefully be contending for the playoffs and hopefully Cups, get Joe Valeno a right winger who can get him the puck because there there could be a lot of uh, plays like this set up because Valeno, this is one of his strengths on offenses, those passes off the off his strong side and and then the quick catch and release. So the Red Wings did end up winning the game uh, 3-2. The second goal wasn't Husso's fault at all. It was just a freak uh, deflection. It wasn't intentional. It was very, Datsuk hits Abdulkader with the puck and it went in. Uh, Eichel fired it in front. Uh, so Husso, in my mind, was essentially perfect after the fluke goal. The Red Wings ended up winning 3-2. Husso actually made a couple of big saves and you can hear the Hoos chants in uh, the arena in Vegas, which was nice. So uh, the Red Wings got the win, which was good. The, the late night game, especially considering how they lost uh, previously against Arizona, I thought that was a much better performance, much more consistent, less um, severe ups and downs throughout the game. Didn't see the Vegas flu out there at all, which no. was good to see. Yeah, the, <laughs> the guy, they probably taped their doors shut after curfew. Um, Bertuzzi didn't play a shift in the third period, and, and we'll talk more about the outlook for Bertuzzi in a moment here. But uh, I watched his last shift. It happened, I think, with a minute or so left in the second or something like that. And uh, couldn't find anything except he took a couple hits, which looked innocuous. And he, as he was skating off, he was doing that thing where you lean on your knees with your stick, which you can do either if you're gassed or if you're hurt. He didn't seem to be like egregiously hurt, but uh, he was ruled out after day-to-day with a lower body injury. So could be anything, could have tweaked his back. Obviously, he had that surgery. Could have been, you know, sometimes your leg gets stuck in a rut as you're getting hit and you're, you mess up your knee. Whatever it is, Lalone didn't seem too concerned. He said he shouldn't be out for too long. Um, but that's another one in the long list of uh, roadblocks Bertuzzi has had this season. Um, staying in the lineup has been has been difficult for him. Uh, the next game was uh, last night at home. Detroit hosted Philly. This game was, in a lot of ways, you know, the Red Wings can find a lot of good from it, but at the same time, they didn't really turn it on until it was too little too late uh, last few minutes of the game where they were firing everything that they could at uh, at Carter Hart. Carter Hart had an outstanding game, first of all. I think the Red Wings played well overall, not perfect. Yeah. Did it feel like, I don't know if it felt how it felt to me, but like, did you guys think that they didn't generate a lot of high dangerous scoring chances? Yes. So I like watched that game and I was like, the Red Wings didn't play bad by any means. But they didn't really seize the win, you know, like just seemed like they played a lot of perimeter hockey. And then, you know, once it got down to the final few minutes of the game and they really had to put the pedal on, you saw that they they could. It just felt like, yeah, it was too little too late. and Nothing really generated throughout the game. Yeah. You know what that actually reminds me of? The entire 2022-2023 Red Wings season. Yeah. How many times have we But had? I meant like last night it was very much on display. And then you see what they can actually do at the end of the game. It's like, well, where was this for 48 minutes or 58 minutes earlier? Yeah. So 
everything is is on a sliding scale, especially when it comes to how a a hockey team is performing, how they develop over a season. So, uh, I think two things are true here. Carter Hart did have a good game, and, and like you said, Evan, the Red Wings weren't especially giving him a hard time. Uh, there were a lot of uh, comments, responses, uh, sentiments being expressed from the Red Wings fans. And I think very fairly, like I'm not calling them out. I think they're right, which is that how many times have we said about a goalie? Oh, they look lights out or that was a Vezina level performance or whatever. And I think two things are true. I think that goalie a lot of times had a really good game. And I think a lot of times the Red Wings ease goalies into games. They, they don't challenge them. They don't give them a hard time. Uh, and by the time they do pick it up, that goalie is warmed up. He knows where every puck is coming from. He's dialed in. He's feeling good. He's on a streak, and uh, it's hard to get him off his rhythm at that point. Or the Red Wings don't have the shooting talent to be scoring four goals. I mean, they did it against Pittsburgh, but uh, to be to be coming back that late or that often, it's it's not a winning recipe to uh, to play games like that where you're not really testing your goalie, but. The over someone said like how many time how many more times are we going to be going to be saying this this year about the Red Wings where oh this goalie opposite them had a great game and honestly until they generate or acquire more shooting talent lots I think this is going to be keep happening like Brad you said this is like the the, the uh, epitome or the summary or microcosm of the entire twenty two twenty three season and I think this is going to be the case unless you can go back in time and make sure Veron and Bertuzzi play all year, like not much is going to change. How many elite players or really good teams score the majority of their goals from the, like the perimeter of the, of the ice? Absolutely none of them. No. So until the Red Wings can, you know, get to the middle of the ice and get inside teams defense, like we're gonna maybe have this conversation a few more times. Look at the two goals Raymond scored over those two, two games, both of them. One was practically in the crease, and one was he was in the slot, right place, right time. Uh, Kublik's goal, Sunquist with a great slap slap pass across the middle of the ice to generate movement. Like it, it's not a a tough recipe. Like Derek Lalone would say, "Well, yeah, obviously the Red Wings just don't have the personnel." It's a simple idea, but it's incredibly difficult to execute when you don't out talent the other team. Yeah. How many times this season have we watched the Red Wings get absolutely pinned in their own zone for a minute, minute and a half, two minutes, and the other team just cycles, cycles, chant, cycle, chant, shot, eventually scores? Now, how many times have we seen the Red Wings do that to anybody this year? Off, the, I'm sure it's happened, but off the top of my head, I can't remember one. It's not. It's not often. You want to know that Philly game, and there were other games like the Philly game where it's like they play really well and they do everything right up until it comes to putting the puck in the net. There have been games where they scored a lot, but that one has happened often. I'm going to get, I'm going to get flamed so hard for saying this, but that game is like Philip Zadina incarnate. Like that's Philip Zadina. He, he does a lot of things right on the ice, but when it comes to actually converting or, or making a count on the scoreboard, it disappears. And too often for two plus periods, we see the Red Wings do that. So that's what the Philly game was to me. Well, Zadina is due back soon, so the Red Wings are just trying to make him feel welcome. There's some kind of cosmic woman in a pond with a sword thing going on here. I don't know. There's uh, maybe it's uh, they're the they're getting it out of the way now, so when Zadina comes back, he doesn't have to carry the full burden of it. Yeah, they're just being nice. Really, real that's what's team happening. Team guys, real team guys. <laughs> uh, that's that's the two Red Wings games uh, upcoming before the All Star break. They have. Three more uh, Tuesday night. They host San Jose, and then we'll be back with you on Wednesday 
After that, they go on a road trip, uh, Montreal and the Islanders back-to-back on the Thursday and Friday. And then there's no games. Uh, after the 27th, there's no games again until February 7th. So uh, that's the all-star break. So uh, a couple of Red Wings stories. Tyler Bertuzzi's hurt again. He's out day-to-day. They are hoping that he's back for Tuesday. Uh, they think if they can get him back Tuesday, great. If not, then they'll consider keeping him out until after the All-Star break just so he can, you know, fully rest up. Um, that makes sense. I don't want to scream, you know, the sky is falling just because Bertuzzi is out day-to-day. Um, unfortunate run of of injuries. A lot of it, most of it, if not all of it, is attributed to just bad luck, of course. I'm not going to get into you know, his performance this season, it's hard to to really evaluate a guy. I don't think he's looked good, but at the same time, he's not stayed on the ice. That's the biggest issue. What do we say all the time? The best ability is availability, and he's not yeah. had that this year. This is another case in a long, frustrating book of Red Wings premium trade pieces being untradeable leading up to the deadline. And people who love Tyler Bertuzzi are saying, why are you so obsessed with trading him? Hey, I would love to keep Tyler Bertuzzi on the Red Wings, but you look at all the indicators of what's happened leading up to this season, you have to understand that trade a trade is at worst a coin flip outcome, if not a more likely outcome here than him resigning. Now, the injuries might pull him back to the table where he would be a little bit uh, uh, more amenable to taking lower dollars or shorter term, but then you're also saying, well, is this guy injury prone? It's just a mess of bad circumstances here for Steve Eisman and the Red Wings and Tyler Bertuzzi, of course. And it just sucks. Like it, it, it's hard to lay blame, but it just sucks. Yeah. This is one of those ones where you can't lay blame on the team for not trading him to this point or not extending him to this point. You know, we could go back in time and look at the Mike Green scenario where that one was a little mishandled, but this one's just mostly bad luck. And I don't know what you do from here because this was supposed to be the Red Wings' step forward this year, and you know, without going into the whole season in review and and doom and gloom of the last few episodes, I, th- I think we all know it's pretty clear that the younger core is going to be the one that this has to be built around. So you could just argue Tyler's too old to be a significant piece, especially with will his be, injury. yeah, will be by the yeah. time. Well, he's getting there. He's getting to thirty. That's almost dust, right, Ryan? <laughs> Right when you start getting close to thirty, no, like no, it all I, just goes off the rails. No, what I've actually heard people say is thirty-five. Yeah, they call okay. thirty the new twenty. Oh, okay, cool. I feel exactly the same as I did five years ago. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, that's because you're be fr- nice. <laughs> you're a freak and you don't age. But um, so for a while, it, it felt like this has been leading up to a trade. He's probably with his injury history not a candidate to sign long term if you're the Red Wings right now who are hoping to get into your window soon. And if I'm Tyler Bertuzzi, I'm not accepting a short term contract. So you could understand why these two sides at a negotiating table can't get close and you fully understand both parties involved. He might have to. He might have to. Yeah. If he can't stay on the ice, he might not have a choice. But also in the games he has played this year. He hasn't been great. He hasn't been bad, but he's not been the the player that we thought for sure would get a first round pick plus a team's you know top prospect. That's off the table. Like you could sign him for he could sign a one year extension and hope for himself that he can bounce back, stay healthy, and and get a little more money on his next contract. But again, that just pulls him closer to thirty. 
the way he's been playing, if you're Eisman, are you even sure he's going to raise his trade value at this point? Are you trying to trade him based off his reputation? Because obviously he's had very recent success before this before this season. It's reputation at this point. That's all you have. Yeah, and and that might be the better course of action here. And it sucks. And again, it's not Tyler's fault. He broke his hands. Like he can't do anything about that. That's just bad luck. I, I don't know what the injury is right now, but again, probably just more bad luck. You know, it just sucks. Like you want this is one of those situations you want to sit, yell, scream, you screwed this up, we lost this. It just sucks. Sometimes things just suck. And that's all this situation is for everybody involved. I think there's a little bit here to be said. You can't really blame Tyler for getting hit in the puck or hit in the hands how he did. I think he does play a little bit of a reckless game, and uh there's something to be said about learning how to block a, a shot so you don't get hurt. But again, you're going to needle in on that. You need to do it for the other, you know, 20, 20 other guys on the ice or the team or however many uh, who are out there blocking shots. It, it's just a bad run of luck, like you said. At this point, we were talking pre-show, Brad. And at this point, what do you do if you're Steve Eisman? Let's say you get an offer a little bit less than what Athens you got. Do you take it? Or let's say you have an option for a short-term one, two years at a reasonable dollar amount uh, extension on the table just to buy yourself some more time and get another run of, of healthy hockey. Do you take that risk or do you just move him for what you can now? Or 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 the other option here is what if he's willing to sign long-term low dollar, like five years? Again, that would depend on the dollar amount. If he's willing to come in under five mil, sure. that That's probably the better gamble there. But if we're talking trade, I, I probably just get it over with and do it now, you can get a lot off his reputation, not a lot, but you can get equity out of his reputation still. If he has a bad year, that's gone. Like that would be absolutely gone. We saw Nick Letty have two weeks of good hockey and then he was sold essentially on reputation. Exactly. But Letty's also a defenseman. Wingers get the least value on a trade market flush with them. And every year there's always a ton of wingers, so don't take that as a that's a reason you should wait till next year because it'll be the same problem. The other thing way I'm looking at it, if Eisenman does want to turn this around quickly, which he very clearly does, you can't exactly wait to get assets. If you're getting draft picks or prospects, delaying them another year actually does hinder what he's trying to do more than it already does. This whole season is screwing up Eisenman's plan beyond a shadow of a doubt. So he's either got to commit to another quick rebuild, which obviously he's not going to do, nor should he, nor do any of us want him to. So whatever assets you're going to get in, you better hope that they can get going soon. So if you're going for draft picks, yeah, you get a second round pick out of them now. Maybe that player's ready to go in three years around the time you're in your window. Maybe you get a young prospect. Maybe this is the Philip Zadina type trade. Maybe you trade Bertuzzi for Capo Caco or something like that out of the Rangers. Someone who's massively underachieved um, his draft position that you hope maybe you can res- like revive something out of. Now, I don't think the Rangers would do that deal, but just using it as an example where something low equity that you can get. The Jim Rutherford special, we'll call it. <laughs> No oh God. Some foreshadowing. Um, but uh, yeah, I I, th- I think this situation is dragged on too long as is. You, you just have to either extend them or, or or pull the rug out. Yeah, for me, you know, I I think it's probably bo- one of those two scenarios. You know, the negotiations have been long and arduous. Um, so you know that always leaves 
a bad taste in your mouth. I know it's just business and on ice is is completely different, but you know, after a while you're just like, we need to just wash our hands. Both sides just wash their hands of this situation and move on. Um, but I also think, you know, depending on dollar amount, like it might be in Tyler's best interest to take a take a deal. Like how many guys have turned down let's let's say 20 million bucks and they're banking on coming back you know betting on themselves and the next deal never comes because the bet doesn't go the way they planned john klingberg sometimes you just have to be honest with yourself and say you know what red detroit's familiar it's i've got lots of friends you know you're established in the organization like this might be the last chance that i've got to make you know, as much as I would love 40, 50 million dollars, like this realistically might be the only offer of substance that I have for the rest of my career. I'd rather take something rather than nothing. The problem is there. I don't know that a long term deal is on the table. Oh, I know. I know. Oh, yeah. Like if you're if you're Steve, Steve Eisman has been almost shockingly clinical with his his evaluations of players. I mean, look at who he waived recently. Uh, so if you see a guy who can't stay on the ice, he's going to say. Well, why would you sign him for five years when he's only going to play for two? Yeah. Yeah, I, no, I totally agree. Yeah. I'm trying to put myself in, in either position, and it's just, it, it's, the situation has gone so far off the rails from where I thought it would go this season that at this point I just want a conclusion. It's it's an incredibly tough job being a GM in the NHL. It's incredibly tough, even tougher being a, a GM of a rebuilding team. And right now, Eisenman has, you know, every time he looks down the path, there are forks in the road. Um, the, the Larkin and Bertuzzi decisions are some of the most complex, um, but massively impacting the team, you know, in the sense of the the, the scale of the impact of, of those decisions is, is insane. Um that we've seen since we started covering this team. What I'm failing to articulate here is that this is tough. Like this is incredibly uh, tough and nuanced and it's hard to see the correct path forward. I, I can understand and even a lot of times agree with the sentiment that you, you both have stated Brad and Evan, where you're like, you just need to take what you can get and, and move on from it. But at the same time, I have a hard time letting go of the Tyler Bertuzzi we saw last season, who was of the most coveted archetype of forwards across the NHL, a guy who is gritty in your face, hard nose, will punch you in the teeth and go score right after it in the right way, playing, you know, quote unquote playoff hockey. I'm not just messing around. I think that's genuinely the kind of player who who puts you up and over the edge in the playoffs. It's hard to find that. It's hard to find that guy at 27 years old. And it's hard to find that guy, you know, period, uh, let alone someone who's playing the best hockey. So I would like to think the optimist in like in me likes to think that, yeah, if you buy him another year, the the risk is somewhat big at this point, but the reward could be immense if you can get Tyler back to that situation because then it's you either have that player on your team or you can auction that off for a massive asset. I really have no idea which way this is gonna go. <laughs> like honestly, like if it was a one one year deal, I wouldn't be shocked. If there's no deal, I also wouldn't be shocked. If he's traded, also not shocked. Like I have no idea what is going to happen here. Stay tuned to find out, folks. Yeah, we're on this roller coaster just with everybody else. Next episode of What the Hell is Going On in Detroit. Yeah. All right. Uh, in other news, Jacob Verana, two goals in Grand Rapids. Starting to turn it on. 
starting to see a little bit more of his shot. Um, Access Hockey Michigan released a uh, uh, two different videos on Twitter at Access Hockey MI, uh, and it was an interview with Verona. And you know, nothing we haven't heard from him or the team in there. You know, Verona states that he's uh, you know working to find his game again. He's doing his best. That's all he can do is his best. Wants to obviously help the team in Grand Rapids. Uh, he can only go where they tell him to go, which is to say the Red Wings are deciding he's in the AHL right now, and, and that's where he is. Um, without reading too much into it, you can glean some of the frustration that we've, we've heard and we've talked about, but again, that's not surprising, right? An NHL player in the AHL having just been waived, obviously he's been through a lot this year. Um, he said, you know, he's feeling better than he ever has, which is good to hear. And you can just only hope that he continues to do that. You know, it was a a few episodes ago where I mentioned, um, you know, we reported on some, uh, news that we were getting, which was. Uh, there was frustration with Verona's progress and and how he was doing on the ice uh, coming out of the player systems program, his conditioning, his uh, his abilities and how they're being displayed. And that was from the team and Verona. Uh, and I said something like it would take a massive turnaround in performance. Goals have a way of curing things. So I still think it's a long road ahead for Verona. But if if you want to look for a path back to the NHL, goals will remedy that better than anything else. So uh, here's to hope that it's two of many, many more. Uh, more than anything, we're happy to see Jacob Rana doing be- doing better and getting better every day. Uh, that's what's most important. And it doesn't hurt his case that the big team in front of him can't score a goal to save their lives. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's it's the uh, obvious context there. It's hard to state that all the time because there's, there's, um, there's circumstances surrounding Verona which aren't so simple as uh, he, he just wasn't playing well there. He obviously went to the player assistance program and it wasn't, that wasn't an injury. Right. Uh, but yeah, a, a healthy Verona who's firing on all cylinders, uh, the Red Wings could desperately use a player like that. All right. We have a lot to get to, but before all that, I want to let you know that this episode of the winged wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce NordVPN. Using NordVPN in a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings them right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan plus four free months. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's no risk to you at all with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund and you can pretend the entire thing never happened. Check out our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, to get your subscription started today. All right, guys. It's time. We held out as long as we could. But uh, until the trade deadline starts setting things on fire, you know, it's been a long time since we've had a happy January, February in uh, the world of the Red Wings. So why don't we give people something to look forward to and start to look toward the 2023 NHL draft. Folks, this is our first prospect profile of the season and who better to start with than Connor Bedard uh Brad I know this isn't really your domain 
<laughs> Brad, uh, this is your time to shine. Take it away. I was hoping this season I wouldn't have to. We were really hoping to, you know, retire that part of your 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 repertoire. Yeah. Yeah. You know how much time and effort goes into prospecting? So much. Oh God. So we're gonna get uh, the easy one out of the way first. Connor Bedard. We know the Red Wings aren't getting Connor Bedard because that would require require a draft lottery win. So it doesn't matter where the Red Wings finish in the standings; they're not getting Connor Bedard. <laughs> but we're gonna talk about Connor Bedard because it's fun. Because what he's doing right now in the WHL is unprecedented. It's some video game bullshit. It's what he did at the World Juniors was unprecedented. Was more video game bullshit. I can't under. I can't understate this. If the Detroit Red Wings win the draft lottery and draft Connor Bedard, it it basically solves the rebuild. Like almost full stop. Everything we've been begging for, clamoring for. How are the Red Wings going to do this? What do the Red Wings need? It's Connor Bedard. Now, we're probably not getting Connor Bedard, so you got to find other alternatives. But he's a legit top line center who can score, who can be an elite playmaker, who's probably going to crack a hundred points. Many, many times in his NHL career, we'll probably crack 50 goals at uh, a couple points. There is nothing in the game of hockey he isn't good at, uh, except being big. And when you're as talented and dynamic and elite at hockey as Connor Bedard is, when it comes to his size, uh, the correct response is, who cares? It doesn't matter. Now, every year, the first overall pick in the draft has a a degree of variance like you know Connor McDavid does not equal Owen Power and the last few drafts have had really good players at at first overall but not that franchise altering you know MVP potential type prospect make no mistake Connor Bedard is that guy Connor Bedard's baseline of what he probably should be when he gets to the NHL is Austin Matthews now it's it's a prospect, so there's always a chance they don't reach their peak, they don't re- reach their ceiling. There's a million things that influx it, but if we're talking about Connor Bedard's talent and what his projection should be based on that talent, we're talking MVP candidate. We're not talking a top line player. We're not talking a possible all star. We're talking this guy could be one of the very best players in the NHL at his peak. I won't call it baseline. Personally, just because I think there's too much variance in prospects and we can see that no single player is sheltered from things going wrong. Read Alexi Lafreniere. But in all, I agree. He is the best prospect, I'd say, tied in terms of, you know, projected impact coming into the league with Austin Matthews. And he's the best since Connor McDavid. I think Connor McDavid is the only one of this era who I could say, yeah, was definitively better coming in. Uh, those three are the only players you could even put in the same tier or close to the same tier as Crosby and Ovechkin, who I think are once in a generation likely. Like that, that was a freak that those two came right after each other. All that to say, it isn't insane to put, you know, Bedard up with Matthews and maybe even McDavid in terms of uh, how the hype around them. Um, you mentioned Brad, elite goal scorer. Elite goal scorer and how he can score. We've seen him with a traditional release. We've seen him with a deceptive release where he pulls it in and fires it in a a blink. We've seen him with an off-balance release, you know, 
off the toe, off the heel of a stick. Basically, he can fool goaltenders all over the place. I did see a little bit in the World Juniors him trying to rely on the same thing that wasn't working when a a team zeroed in on him. Uh, But when your biggest flaw in your shot is that you sometimes try the same thing too often before going to one of your many other tools in the toolkit. Oh, he shoots too much? Yeah, please. I I would welcome that problem on the Red Wings. I think in the NHL, he's going to be a lot more, obviously, it's not a hot take. He's going to be challenged a lot more, and he's going to have to adapt a lot more. But the thing that separates him from other players is other players don't have all the tools that he has. Uh, You mentioned elite playmaker, and he does that two ways. He creates space for his teammates uh, by drawing attention to himself, and he also creates space by just moving around the the opposing team's defense at will. He he really hates being stationary. He does. He's not the world's best skater, but he, he... Plays with pace. You know, it's not like Connor McDavid where he goes at top speed and does everything at top speed. That is, I've honestly never seen that in my life. But he does everything at an elite level in terms of uh, uh, talent and the pace that he does it at. Yeah, we talked about it with Lucas Raymond going into his draft, and I'm using him because obviously then Red Wings fans can relate it. You don't have to be fast to play fast. And that sums up Connor Bedard. Like, obviously, Lucas Raymond does that, and Bedard does that to another level. Like, Bedard's not going to win many north-south races against a lot of players in the NHL. Like, he's not a below-average skater. No, but, no. He's, but he's he's not a burner. But he can make decisions and make plays quicker than most. And if you leave him unattended in the offensive zone for any amount of time, he's going to get that wicked shot off and score. Right now, at 17 years old, if you dropped Connor Bedard in the NHL tomorrow, he's got a top-five shot in the league. Right now. And it's only going to get better. And he's only going to pick his spots better. And that that's the crazy thing. We're talking about him at 17 years old. You look at the streak he's on in the WHL right now. You look at his stats in the WHL right now. That is the lowest scoring of the CHL leagues. That is generally a league that is more favored towards overagers and guys in their fourth season. Connor Bedard's doing this in his second, uh, well, sorry, not second year. He got the elite, the exception. But he's doing this at 17 years old and just Toying with the league. It looked like if you dropped an NHL player into my beer league. 33 games with the Regina Pats, 81 points. What's his point streak at? I think 32 games. I think he didn't register a point in the first game of the season and he hasn't missed since. He still leads the WHL scoring race comfortably and he missed a month for the World Juniors. When Brad said... Drafting Connor Bedard would solve the Red Wings rebuild. We've learned a lot in this podcast and we don't always get everything right as people are, are very want to remind us. And genuinely, we always try to get better. And one of the things we learned early on and keep building on is to be more measured and realistic, even though it's not as exciting and doesn't get as many clicks when it comes to prospects. And we've been burned by that in both directions. And so we always try to find the the reasonable balance. When Brad says Connor Bedard could very well fit single-handedly fix the Red Wings be- rebuild, he's not. Asterix, they keep Dylan Larkin. Yeah, he's not <laughs> He's not being dramatic. Like, this is a right-shot center who would come in as a like a rookie, be able to make an impact in his rookie year. I'm not saying, like, win the Art Ross, immediately the Red Wings' number one center, but it wouldn't take long for him to ascend or sh- compete for that status. And this is a guy who is a game-breaker. Whoever gets Connor Bedard is going to change the future of their franchise for the better, barring the the bust of all busts, the one that would be talked about for the rest of the NHL's history. 
I know you might be saying, you guys said that about Lafreniere and he's not been great. Um, you said that about Hugh. Well, we, we never said that, like it wasn't never to this degree, uh, but you'll say you had a lot of hype about Lafreniere and he's not been great. You had a lot of hype about Hughes and he took a while, although I think Hughes is- Oh, everything. Hughes is in the MVP conversation. Hughes is everything year. as advertised and I think he's a great example why people need to chill for the first few years of a player's career. Uh, but no, Bedard is different. The only other players that you can compare to Bedard in this generation in terms of hype and promise coming into the draft, again, Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, and List. There is, it's a contentious topic, tanking. People don't love it. If there's ever a year to be justified to swim against the current, do everything that you can do that is against your best immediate interest to tank, this is the year and you're seeing it. You're seeing Chicago keep Reichel down with the Wolves. They're you're six and one in their last seven. You're seeing it. You're going to see more. Yeah, I know. Which is talk, like, talk about not doing. Which is like the right thing here. That's why tanking is hard in the NHL. You have a group of guys, four four forward lines, three defensive pairs, and a goalie who all do not give a shit about the prospect. Uh, you're going to see teams shut down players. You're going to see teams sell like crazy at the deadline because this year is different. This like last year was Slavkovsky, who's you know. No schlep like that. That Shane Wright went forth. Like there, those they're really good prospects you can have. Connor Bedard, not to mention the players behind him, but Connor Bedard is just in a different stratosphere than those guys. Yeah, it it really truly like if Connor Bedard turns into ultimately ends up being what Alexi Lafreniere is right now, and like that's kind of all he turns into, that would be the biggest boss in the history of the NHL by far. It would want to be the it would be one of the biggest busts in the history of modern sport. Yeah, because like you know we have our first overall bust, Yakupov, Patrick, Stefan, etc. But they were never like can't miss. Oh my god, franchise changing first overall picks. Everybody knew they were good prospects and they they should go first overall. But it what it was like the last year's draft with the Slavkovsky. It's like yeah, these guys should go number one because they're great, but they're not like that elite talent. Whereas Connor Bedard should is and should be so. You know, and again, it things happen, weird things happen, but, and I, I know this is all for naught because there's no reality where the Red Wings win a draft lottery. I understand that, but we have to start with Connor Bedard because it gives you the context for everything else we're going to talk about for the next five months. So for people who might not be aware with the draft lottery, there are rules that are pretty recent in terms of implementation. Uh, they, you can only move up 10 picks in the draft lottery, which means if the Red Wings want a chance at Connor Bedard, no matter how many uh, or how limited the uh, percentage is, they need to finish 11th or worse, uh, or 11th last or worse. Uh, and they only do lotteries for the top two picks. Now, obviously, getting the second pick would be fantastic. They get their choice of Fintilli, Carlson, Michkov, whoever. Players who could do who could move the needle on the rebuild in a very, very big way Players who could have gone first overall in other years even. Uh, but Bedard, if they want him, they need to finish 11th last or worst. And even then, it's not incredibly like I think 11th last has like a 3% chance or whatever it might be. The chance is very limited. Well, Ryan, are the Red Wings currently in the bottom 11? Yeah. They're there. So there's that. They're in the fight. So you're telling me there's a chance. That is the exact, that's all we have, Brad, and and that's what we're going to live on. So that's Connor Bedard. Um, I'm going to spoil something for you. We are going to come back to him. 
He is such an enthralling player. There's so much to talk about in terms of the specifics of his game. Uh, today, we want to give the general overview of the impact and some of the things about, you know, the most notable parts, which is his shot, his playmaking. But uh, we'll come back to Connor Bedard. We'll do future editions uh, of his prospect profile. All right, Brad, last topic here before we get into overtime. The Vancouver Canucks and uh, the hockey world have been talking about the Vancouver Canucks, it seems like endlessly for the last, was it 10 years? Um, But what has just wrapped up today was one of the most, like, shameful in my mind. I I know it's aggressive to say, but shameful, sad, uh, uh, you know, overall terrible displays of management team administration that I've ever seen in my life. Bruce Boudreaux today was let go by the Vancouver Canucks. And that's one thing I don't even necessarily disagree uh, with the decision to let Boudreaux go there. That's a whole different discussion, but they've pretty much known that he was going to be let go. He's known he was going to be let go. The fans have known he's going to be let go. The media knew he was going to be let go for weeks and weeks, if not months. It got to the point where Rick Tockett, who was just announced as head coach today, it, it was out there that he was being brought in weeks ago. Boudreaux knew the news. They were asking about it in pressers. They all knew. It, they, they let him hang there for so damn long. He knew he was on his way out. And they just, for, for reasons we'll get into, and there were technical reasons, I think, behind Tockett's contract or whatever it was, why they had to wait. All of this was embarrassingly public, really uh, uh, tough for Boudreaux, like embarrassing for him, the poor guy, and the fan base who's had to fight, uh, you know, attend and watch games for a team that's been mismanaged from day one through multiple uh, uh, administrations. The way this all happened, the way it's all transpired, I just, I can't help but feel terrible for Boudreaux. They did not do right by him. And what a shame. What a disgrace by the Vancouver management and ownership. It's probably, we, we probably need to to backtrack a bit to understand the full context of this because yep. the Aquilinis are the owners of the Vancouver Canucks and they have had a contentious relationship with the fan base for a while now, not to the extent of Eugene Melnick and the Senators fans, but that's probably the closest comparable in the NHL where it's a private ownership. You can put faces and names to the ownership group. They're outspoken, they're public, and the fans generally do not like what they have to say most of the time. Then this year, they they hire Patrick Alvin, they bring in Jim Rutherford, and then the season goes off the rails after, and let's call a space spade, the season went off the rails because of the absolutely horrendous decisions the Canucks ownership and management have made for the last however many years that led the Canucks to basically be Wiley Coyote going off the cliff this year. And Boudreaux is the one who's taking the heat for that. Now, when a season goes as bad as it has for the Canucks, yeah, usually the coach takes the fall and I have no, no issues with that, even though I don't think, well, I know Boudreaux wasn't the problem. You know, they, they made him ride out the toughest schedule. Look at the Canucks remaining schedule. The timing of this isn't a coincidence. Rick Tockett gets a cupcake schedule to walk into now. Most of the Canucks remaining games are against bottom seven teams in the league, including the Red Wings twice. You have to factor in the human element in all of this. So, you know, people are going to say, oh yeah, well, he get, makes millions of dollars to coach a team, whatever, whatever. I, who cares? This isn't about the money. This is about ethics. This is about 
you know, borderline cruelty, making him trot out every day, knowing he's gone and not doing anything about it and acting like they had no other option. Apparently it's been reported that Rick Tockett had to give TNT four weeks notice to get out of his contract with them. If that is in fact true, which was reported by multiple sources, this was done around Christmas. And as Ryan alluded to earlier, these rumors have been out there and everybody knew this was coming for about a month now. So the timeline does line up pretty well. Jim Rutherford at many points this season has publicly criticized Bruce Boudreau, which is exceptionally rare for a GM to do that about a coach, especially mid-season, and not immediately fire him. Mike Yo is an assistant coach in Vancouver, and he's taken he's been in this situation before where he's had to take over for a head coach who's been relieved of his duties, which is what the Canucks should have done. You let Boudreau go the second you make up your mind on that. You have the assistant coach, probably Mike Yo, step in to take the wheel for about a month. And that's that. That's yep. that's what should have happened here. And then at his press conference today, Jim Rutherford had every chance to come up with some, you know, we like Bruce. It's unfortunate the way it played out, but it, it this is the way it had to play out, and and it's unfortunate, et cetera, et cetera. And he, he avoided all of that. He said, nope, the only thing I'm sorry for is that I publicly criticized him a couple times. And I'm paraphrasing, but that it was such a non-apology. It, you said a word in there, or, or you alluded to this being cruel to Boudreaux. And that's what it is. This is a tough world in the in the... NHL coaching sphere and you see a lot of guys coming in out of roles and so much of it is circumstantial like think about goaltending that dictates a lot of uh, a coach's success or lack thereof uh think about um you know, their schedule think about the makeup of their team where they are in a rebuild there are there were and this is putting it very gently very politely a lot of questionable decisions in Vancouver's uh, uh general manager seat you know between Rutherford, Alvin, and uh, mostly Jim Benning. And Boudreaux had to eat that. Like He was the one coaching the results of that team in those decisions. There's no version of the Vancouver Canucks as they are right now with the, the circumstances that they're in with their players and their contracts that's going to be competing for a cup. Plain and simple. They could turn around. I could see a version of the season where they were a lot better and, and had a run of much better goaltending. They probably would have competed for the playoffs in a very weird West. But... It's hardly been, oh yeah, Boudreaux is absolutely the problem. But like you said, Brad, you want to get rid of your coach when your team's losing? It's hard to argue with that. Not everyone's going to agree, but do what you have to do. But yeah, the the cruelty of it and just hanging him out to dry is one thing. But then when you couple it with the context of what you mentioned about Rutherford, which is he has very clearly not wanted Boudreaux in that spot from the moment Rutherford came in. Rutherford knew Boudreaux was going to be the guy at around the time where he was being brought in. Vancouver was going through some changes, but very publicly, it has not been hard to read that he has not wanted Bruce Boudreaux in that seat. So the way this was drawn out and with the complete disrespect to the coach, like you mentioned, the fans have had a very tenuous relationship with management and ownership. The fans and Bruce Boudreaux are the only ones I feel bad for here. I really love the way the fans sent Boudreaux off, you know, chanting Bruce, there it is, on the uh, couple of games before he went out. They knew that this was unfair. They knew that this was, you know, not the way to treat someone in a professional NHL organization. 
Uh, and I feel for the fans as well. That whole circumstance is insane. Have we, has anybody ever seen that in the history of sports? Bruce Boudreaux last night um, got his send off from the fans. You know, he said there, apparently all the players came into his office. You know, they all had their tearful goodbyes with Bruce. And then Bruce and his coaching staff had a couple beers in his office, you know, kind of as like a, you know, last hurrah send off. He hadn't been fired yet. And he had to answer qu- reporters' questions every day of, I don't know why they haven't done it yet. I don't know why I'm still here. I don't know when they're going to do it. I can't say for sure. Like he, They weren't speaking. This wasn't coach speak. They, they weren't dancing around it. They, they were literally talking in interviews. I know I will be fired. I don't know why it hasn't happened yet. It's my job to show up until they do it. That's it. it they have stained the reputation of this organization beyond what it was already stained in a way, like you said, Brad, that we haven't seen in professional sports. Now, the, the it's the NHL. There's only so many coaching jobs, so I'm not going to say no one's ever going to coach for them again. I'm not going to say no one's ever going to play for them again. There's just There aren't enough jobs in the NHL to make that true, but they have a long, long, long way to go to regain the trust of their fans, to regain the trust of uh, their peers internally, and to fix their reputation at all across the NHL. They are the laughing stock of all Canadian markets, which is saying something. <laughs> yeah. It's a absolute worst case scenario across the board, how they handled it with Boudreaux, how they handled it with the fans. They've set Rick Talkett up where he's already being maligned and in, in, is in a losing position in terms of how the fans interpret him. You have set your new guy up for failure and you trashed the previous guy on the way out after drawing it out for months too long. I have hardly seen, it's like going into a test blind, a multiple choice test and trying to choose like a true false and trying to choose the wrong answer on every one. It is incredibly hard to do, but they managed it. It's just crazy. And again, Bruce is taking the fall for, you look at, they traded a first round pick for Oliver Ekman Larson and his bloated contract. Look at Tyler Myers contract and the other, look at that JT Miller contract. That might be the record for a contract being deemed one of the worst in the NHL before it even kicks in. Yeah, that, that doesn't that's go, that doesn't go into effect till July. That's up there with Seth Jones and Oh no, the JT Miller's contract makes Seth Jones' contract look like a bargain. Let's not even gloss over the fact that Jim Rutherford came out and said we're not rebuilding. I would like to acquire players for the players that we're about to sell off. It's a it's no, a no, no, don't. Don't don't malign him for that. That's what we want because that that's right for fleecing. No, he said he wants centers, right D, and players coming out of their ELCs who haven't maybe fully lived up to potential that they could reclaim. Holy shit, we're getting Bo Horvat for Philip Zadina and Philip Ronick, and I say that almost unironically. It's gonna be it's a shame Bo Horvat's so in demand because there could be such a comically bad trade to be had here if it was just a slightly lesser player. Well, let's, let's bring the conversation over to what is the situation Vancouver is in now and how can a team like Detroit capitalize the trade deadline? So without getting into the bigger conversation about Detroit, who we've also kind of talked about over the last few weeks, does need a retool of sorts, not to go into another rebuild, but team can't score goals. You got to do something. They could probably get Brock Besser for nothing with some salary retained at this point. You you want to go nuts and and set up a huge trade for Quinn Hughes and uh, Elias Pettersson. Now's the time to do it. If you're going to do it, do it now. This organization is in utter, utter fairy tale land in how they think they're handling things and what they're going on to. 
sign and trade for Bo Horvat. Yep. Put it on the table because, you know, obviously it's going to be expensive and you can give up a lot, but he ain't going to be cheaper anywhere else. And you're not going to get a better deal from other teams. So this is a team that is just utterly delusional, clueless, incompetent. And what have we said? What's the best way to be a good GM in the NHL? Call the bad ones every day. And these are probably the worst ones. If there is a way to peel, I don't think Elias Patterson is actually on the table. They've they've actually called him one of their only untouchables. If there's a way to peel him, you, you try to do it. If there's a way to peel Quinn Hughes away, you try to do it. If you can get Bo Horvat at anything reasonable, and part of that is sign and trade. Sign. And so, you know, Eisenman is would be in touch with his camp too. You have to wait until the team gives you permission, but you know, big air quotes on that one. Everyone talks to everyone in the NHL and you can never say it officially. How how would you ever accuse them of of breaking those rules? But um, it happens. So and we didn't even talk about the Tanner Pearson situation. Oh my god! Yeah, the multiple, multiple, multiple surgeries he's had. His career might be over. That's for a different day. Uh, if you can get Horvat with a decent contract and for, I mean, if they want NHL ready pieces, that pulls a lot of the Red Wings' most premium assets off the table right off the top. They're not talking about trying to take Casper from you. They're not talking about trying to take Edmondson from you. They might ask as like an addition, but if they want players who can play now, the Red Wings can offer a different set of players, a different cohort, a different suite of players that doesn't affect the rebuild so much. So yeah, there's opportunity here. The only other problem, like you said, Brad, is it's there's 30 other teams who will be competing with Detroit because most GMs, if not all, are smart enough to understand uh, a sinking ship and they're not going to try to to save everyone on board they're going to be trying to pillage them for their fine china all right uh that's vancouver uh i hope whatever boudreaux does next he's happy whether it's coaching whether it's media whether it's retirement as evan would ref- uh, uh affectionately refer to him as boos i hope boos is happy uh that guy deserves it i i don't think anyone deserves the way he was kind of slowly peeled away from that organization. Um, they should have done him the grace of a, a quick and courteous um, dismissal, but they didn't. Uh, and I hope whatever he does next helps him forget all of this crap. All right, we're going to get into overtime now on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, which is proudly brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash podcast if you want to support the show. Uh, the benefits you get is you get access to our uh, overtime Uh, bonus episodes that we record right after this. So overtime is where we read fan questions and comments. The ones who don't make it to the main show, uh, we answer all the rest of them on a bonus show where we let loose and talk about a bunch of other things and and just have fun. You also get access to the Winged Wheel Podcast official Discord, which is a wonderful community, and you get entered into all of our giveaways. We are giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season. The vast majority of them are going directly to Patreon supporters. So again, patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to support the show. JM Rhapsody says, can this team make up its mind on what they are? Defeat the Leafs, lose to the Coyotes. Defeat Vegas, lose to the Flyers. I've not been this frustrated with the Wings team since ever. I understand they're a young team and inconsistency is the trait of a young team, but it's infuriating, especially when you get up at 4 a.m. to watch some of these games in Japan. I feel like a shakeup is needed, nigh required. Someone will go before the trade deadline who is on your chopping block. Many players. Um, We had the long conversation about Bertuzzi. I mean, I'm not going to single out players because I was actually thinking about this yesterday and I didn't bring it up in the main episode. So thank you for the reminder. 
If you want to know truly what the Red Wings are and how they're performing and what expectations should be, of the Red Wings who are playing a regular shift right now, if you looked at their performances individually, how many of them are you actually disappointed with? That number will be, to everybody thinking about this right now, that number will be shockingly low. There, I mean, there's a couple at different stretches. I think, you know, Raymond Insider had stretches this year where it was very disappointing. I think, obviously, Bertuzzi at any point where he's actually been playing has been disappointing. Uh, Kublai cooled off in some kind of way after his extremely hot start. I think Huso, save for... Yeah, the, but Kubelik, even in his cold stretches, is about what we expected before the season. The, the yeah. hot streak was just a nice bonus. Uh you, pretty much every defenseman you can point to at some point in the season, except for Wallman, I guess. Even then, you can pinpoint Wallman's play in the defensive zone. All, all that to say is, I think, I see what you're saying. There's not been like a tragically disappointing player that's causing the losses. For most part, if you take all the Red Wings players and you look at their season as a whole, save two or three guys, you're generally happy. I'm... Now that Cider has had this nice little stretch where he's broke, where he's got back to himself. Same with Raymond. I mean, Raymond's has been a little more prolonged. Heronics had a nice breakout season. Mata's been a pleasant surprise. You know, Wallman's been fantastic. Um, Larkin's been great. Raymond's been great. Uh, you know, Sunkist is exceeding expectations. Fabry's come back fantastic. There's not a lot of, to nitpick here, which generally just means this team's not good. That's that's the reality of it. David Perron has exceeded expectations. Like, it's just not a good roster, and unfortunately, that's the case of it. Now, unfortunately, now also unfortunately, some of the guys who we can say have been disappointing are some of the higher paid, more prominent players. But um, we've had enough doom and gloom for one episode. Uh, in terms of who's on the chopping block, there are two untouchables on this team right now. And that's Raymond Insider. Pretty much, yeah. And and this is like we're talking within the realm of reality. There, are, would I trade most cider for Connor McDavid? Absolutely. Is that on the table? No. So yeah. we'll call him untouchable. Uh, Coyote season tickets in Tempe says I saw rumors of flying around involving a Horvat for right trade between Vancouver or Seattle and Seattle. Uh, I think that other picks or players would have been involved on both sides to make it work. But if that is the core of the deal, should Seattle do it? Uh, I don't think so. No, Seattle's contract situation, despite being a good team, isn't great. I would be very keen on keeping every entry-level contract from a good player that I could if I was Seattle. Yeah, I... That and all that, like... Shane Wright, I still think, is being massively undersold. Like, I understand fourth overall is still a very high pick, but I, I think there's a fantastic player under there. You have to get the development right to extract it all. Um, but you'll be happy in, you know, X number of years, as long as you get the development path right, that you didn't ship him off. I'm fully on board with teams going for it when they're feeling it, but they also don't have, I think, Stanley Cup level goaltending right now. I think you're only making those moves to pull the trigger to, you know, go all in and try to get the player who will push you over the edge. If you, you have your playoff or Stanley Cup level roster and goaltending. I don't think you, there's very many teams who could win the cup with poor goaltending. The Colorado Avalanche won with a an above average goaltender last year and that is one of the worst you know goaltending situations I've seen and he was still very good. Uh, Denny's Gamer Girl says, hey guys, I started listening to the pod on my 25 hour drive from Marquette to Tampa this summer. It made it go by much faster. 
Uh, wow, 25 hours of us. Woof. Uh, appreciate that. And uh, we're we sorry. Can, yeah, glad we can keep you company. Uh, why is there this shift in the last few years of the team feeling dead and the arena sounding empty in the last minutes of a closed game? They seem to feed well off the energy. So why does it sound like a library in some of the most pivotal moments of the game? Um, you know what? You can only lose for so long before the team's fan base starts to get tired. The Red Wings have been rebuilding really for about a decade now. Like they didn't admit it started for a long while after that. I think maybe what, 2015, 2016, uh, even call it five years. The fans are the best fans in hockey. I genuinely believe that, but even they are not going to stick around and watch a, uh, a terrible team for that long and be excited about it. So I think the team has some trust to build back with the fan base and there has to be proven repeated success for the fans to come in, get excited to, to believe in something. Even at this point in the season, like, yeah, the fans get extremely hyped if the Red Wings are making a case at the end of the end of the game to make a comeback or whatever it might be. Uh, but they're also not dumb. They know that, oh, great, the Red Wings are going to come back and win this game, and it means absolutely nothing. It's not going to really make a difference in a playoff race unless things change drastically moving forward. And uh, currently, it's not like they're leading the Connor Bedard sweepstakes, so... You need to give him a reason to cheer. Remember when Ken Holland said he didn't want to jump into a rebuild because it would take a decade and we all laughed at him? He was right. Sorry, Ken. Yep. Ken Daniels says that all the time. He's like, people laugh, but he wasn't wrong. Like that's the the irony of the situation is is that's exactly why Ken Holland should have done it. Because if it was gonna take that you can't avoid it. You needed to yeah. do it at some point, especially considering how the Red Wings sold out for so long to keep the streak going. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ben Barron, proud member of the Jake Wallman Gritty Club, uh, says, Hey fellas, I'm trying to ask a question that hasn't already been asked. Say that Stevie doesn't turn the rebuild on its head, signs Larkin all before the trade deadline. Who does he still ship out? In my personal opinion, ship out Ernie slash Sunquist slash those lower lineup players plus Burt for what we can get at this point and re-sign Wallman and Mata. Thoughts? Uh, sure. The problem is you have to find a buyer. There are a lot of teams who will sell anything and everything. It's like putting all your junk out at a garage sale and not to call the Red Wings players junk, but there are going to be a flood of players available at the trade deadline. And, and a lot of times people say, Hey, I'm up, I'm up against the cap. I don't want to take on that contract. I don't want to give up my picks. Why would I for Adam Ernie? So that's the big issue. Brad Crisco wash leader of the unwashed masses says, what's Wallman's next contract going to look like? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, I think the, I think Eisenman has a tendency, like he's not going to want to obviously sign and overreact based on his performance to right now. Um, what's his contract going to look like? How much term I think is the biggest question. Eight years minimum. <laughs> if he's offering him eight years, it's for a low dollar, right? Like, Oh yeah. No, Jake Wallman. Again, I have full faith in the Iser plan, and there's very few habits Steve Eiserman has that I don't like, but this is one where I get worried that he's going to be a little too conservative on because there's opportunity for value here. You know what I mean? Like, if you get Wallman under a three, four, five-year contract, that's probably going to be at a dollar AAV that's lower than what his likely value would be, whereas if you sign him to a one- or a two-year contract, you get a bigger sample size which means he gets a bigger payday at the end of it if he continues what he's doing. Now, obviously, there's risk 
with a longer term contract, given how little Wallman's played for the Red Wings over the you know his, his brief tenure. But you you have to take gambles to get good deals. Like you look at every team in the NHL who's won a Stanley Cup, they have several really good value contracts on there because they took a risk and signed a guy before they really knew what he was and thus getting good value because they took the gamble. Now, again, look at Calgary and Huberto. That <laughs> can backfire sometimes, but uh, y- y- you, get, you get my point. The big difference here is that Wallman is a UFA at the end of the year, so he is going to try to get top dollar, uh, especially because he feels, Wallman feels that he didn't really have a great opportunity in St. Louis and is just now emerging and has always been this player. So he's going to want to make his money. Uh, okay, next question here is from the spirit of Evans Churros. His Larkin and Bo, what do we have to do to get slash keep both of them and how do we structure their contracts so that we have the cap space available when the young guys come out of their ELCs and expect to get paid? Is front-loading the first few years of the contract possible? For instance, pay Larkin 12 mil for the first three years, 10 for the next three, and five the remaining two. Total AAV would be 9.5 over eight years. Uh, if they did that, Larkin would sign today. I think that's his ask right now. Yeah, and changing the dollar value doesn't change the cap hit. He'd still be the 9.5 AAV. What that does do by front-loading it is, A, it's a good negotiating point for the player because then they're, they get more upfront. It kind of, you know, a little more certainty for the player. And towards the end of the contract, it's a much more attractive contract for other teams if they choose to trade them because you can get, you know, a nine and a half million AAV, but you're only going to pay them, you know, four or five million actual cash. But in reality, what would that do? If you structured it that way, what would that do in terms of affecting Cider or Raymond's next contract? Short answer, it won't. It would have no impact. Um, Signing Horvat and Larkin, would obviously impact it in the sense that that's two very, very big contracts that are now going to have to find room with two other very, very big contracts. But it can be done. And I think, again, with the Red Wings' lack of talent, it has to be done, whether that's Horvat or someone else, uh, to whatever degree. So I, I'm fine with that. I'm not arguing against signing a big player. But the structure doesn't matter, but who and the total will matter. But... Uh, Brendan Hanton says, hey guys, I started watching the YouTube versions of the pod early this season and absolutely loved the show. Brendan, thank you so much for your support. Um, really means a lot to us. Uh, as an Australian-based Wings fan, it isn't easy to get a sense of what's happening with the team and the fan base, and the show really provides that. Uh, my question relates to the Wings' defense. Given the struggles there have been at times throughout the year, do you think the Wings look to acquire another D-man at the deadline, or would they be more likely to bring up prospects like Edvinson for short stints to see what they're capable of? If the Red Wings want to swing big for Jacob Chikrin, who's got many years left on his contract, sure. If they want to do a sign and trade with Bo Horvat, sure. The Red Wings should acquire absolutely zero players at the deadline this year with this season in mind. Yeah. This that, season the... doesn't matter. This it's this season's done. It's over barring an Andrew Hammond type run. It's going to take a miracle for the Red Wings to make the playoffs. So this season does not matter in terms of acquiring. If you bring in a player, it's for next year, the year after, several years after that. Yeah, and that's the thing is I think that the defensive woes are really understated when people talk about this team needs. And obviously we've been talking about the Red Wings need an elite player, but they also need a more competent, complete defense. 
So yeah, in general for what's going to be out there, I'd say no, don't bring anyone in. You have players in the pipeline, but if you have a chance to swing and bring in a Hughes, a Chicker, and a, a player who's going to make an impact when this team is competitive, then yeah, why not? Timo Meyer. Well, he doesn't play defense. I don't care. <laughs> uh, all right, we have time for a couple of Reddit questions. Uh, let's kill time on Reddit. Says other than this, other than this team, there are only three people that I don't know personally, but I care about them. Uh, so my questions to those people are: Oh, that's nice. <laughs> uh, my question to those people are: Why aren't we seeing changes in Grand Rapids? That team has tons of Red Wings prospects that we're all excited about. That we are all excited about. As the team creators, most of the time, players being scratched. What's the real issue there? Coaching, logjam of rookies, incompatible pairing slash lines. Why aren't we seeing changes ASAP? So a couple things is I've also like all equally we're concerned about Grand Rapids trajectory. I think the AHL is a little complicated. Promising prospects doesn't always equal wins. It's a it's a little bit of a different league where you can have a guy who would never have a shot at the NHL, who would make a much bigger impact in the AHL than a NHL prospect would. It's a little funny that way, uh, but that doesn't minimize that Grand Rapids has been struggling. Um, I don't disagree that some changes might be needed there. Sean Horkoff just took over that team at the end of the last season or recently. Might just be that he's taking his time, just getting the hang of things, learning the ropes. Uh, it's hard to bring in a new GM and at the same time replace the coaching staff. Still, uh, there are going to need to be changes somewhere, somehow in Grand Rapids for them to turn that around. Not even, you know, for Grand Rapids fans, yeah, you want to see them win more, but also this needs to be a good place for the Red Wings prospects to develop and a winning team and a winning culture goes a long way in doing that. Uh, secondly, other than Bedard, Fantilli, and Carlson, which players should we be excited about in the draft if we draft around 7 to 11? Keeping our needs in mind, someone who fixes our talent and positional depth issue and brings the element this team is lacking. Matt Vemichkov. Yeah, he is the biggest chance of this team getting a first, second overall caliber player well outside of first or second overall. All we can hope for is that the Russian factor and the fact that you're not getting him for three years scares a lot of teams off because otherwise he's probably going second or third overall. Uh, Elvish blood 24 says, do you guys think Bergeron is, or Bergeron is a second line slash top six winger on a contender, or is he just a very good third line winger? I think he could be that. Yeah. As he is now, no, but what could he be in two, three, four years? Yeah, absolutely. He could. Uh, well-paid scientist says, do you guys particularly care if Larkin stays or goes? If he does leave, who besides Horvat might be a good replacement? I care immensely for personal reasons and, uh, you know, just in terms of team building reasons. Personally, it's always hard to see a, a longtime fan favorite go. But secondly, the Red Wings don't have top end centers, period. I have my own, uh, uh qualms with, you know, Larkin being paid at $9.5 million and if he's actually playing up to that, but the fact of the matter is he is the only thing they have that resembles a first-line center. I think he's a first-line center on this Red Wings, and if they get rid of him, they do not have a single other player who is a decent, at least, top-six center, period. So I care if he leaves on that front. Who would be a good replacement besides Horvat? That is actually likely available? Um, No, there isn't. I, like I not to be a downer, but there isn't. You'd have to come up with a. You'd have to make a trade for someone who, 
as of right now, is not on the block. Casper. <laughs> That's the next best option. And let's not forget, it's getting lost in all this is... Um, I feel like it needs to be mentioned because the tone has been a little overzealous. The Red Wings are not the favorite to land Bo Horvat. Oh, no, no, no. They're in the mix, but they are not the favorite. So if they lose Larkin, the more likely scenario is they don't have a top six center. The 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 second most likely scenario is replacing Larkin with Horvat. Like that, that has to be kept in the back of everybody's mind here. I do think the Red Wings are uniquely positioned in that because they're not going for the cup now, they can move more pieces a little bit more freely. You know, a team like Colorado, a team that's fighting for the cup, they don't want to move their pieces that they need to to win playoff games. But again, like you said, they're hardly the leading contender. All right, folks, uh, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. Uh, As you may have noticed, Evan had to bail a little bit early today. Uh, He is uh, off to do some billionaire Batman thing. I don't know. Uh, So we are going to head out. We are going to be back with you on Wednesday for our next episode. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We'd like to thank all of our uh, listeners, new and old, uh, the uh, sponsors of this episode, NordVPN. Uh, All of our patrons are name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Armchair GM slash Genius, Nick Perks, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan Hannes, Banana Slam Jamathong, Glenn Brabham, Aiden White, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hered Hot, Ronick, Hassam Alkasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joseph Berry, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Marty Kneecaps, Big Time All-Star, Matt McKay, Michael Edlund, Nadelkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin. Send it, Seawolf. That's what I appreciate about you. The Podcasting Couch, Venom, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, proud member of the Jake Wallman Gritty Club, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Carl Thames, Carl, or Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Evil Penguin, Insider, Philip Zadiz Nuts, GR Hockey Guy, Griffey Boy, Heronix Handlebar, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, JM Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hall, Matt Keeler, Matt S. Loyal Soldier of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Ricky Bongrips, Servo, Steven, The Hodag, and the Old Water Bottle Book Hockey. Thank you all so very much. Uh, new patrons, Evil Penguin. I uh, missed that as well. So thank you all. We'll talk to you Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.